So today we're going to be studying the Sicha on Parsha Naso. And this is a Sicha that's printed in Lakutis Sichas, volume 18. And there are five Sichas for each Parsha there, pretty much. So this is the fifth Sicha on the Parsha of Naso. It's actually quite a fascinating, uh, fascinating talk on this week's Parsha. And I feel that to get this better, the best way to get this is going to be by first us learning inside, or at least uh, I'll, I'll go through a Rashi first, a Rashi, and then we'll go to the Sikha. I think it will be easier. So when, when Moses, Moshe, finished building the Mishkan, the tabernacle with the Jews in the desert, which was basically, we left Egypt in the year 2448. 50 days later, we received the Torah at Mount Sinai. Then we get a commandment to build the tabernacle. And the next, the next year before Pesach on Rosh Chodesh Nisan is the day where we erect the Walls and the entire tabernacle comes together, the temple. And every day from the first of Nisan for 12 days, each one of the 12 tribes, so obviously the tribes themselves are not around, but the, the children and the offsprings of each tribe is being led by a Nasi, by a leader, a prince we call him, or a Nasi. And the leader of every tribe would represent his entire tribe and bring special gift offerings to Hashem. Now what's interesting is in today's Parsha, if you're familiar with the Parsha, you'll know that in tomorrow's, in the fifth day of the week's Chomish, it goes to great length to tell you that on the first day was the offering of the tribe of Yehuda under the leadership of Nachshon ben Aminadav. And it goes to a whole list of a bunch of verses, 15, 16 verses, of exactly what offerings they actually brought. And then it begins in verse 18, that on the second day, uh, again, this is now the second day of Nisan, the second day of the inauguration of the new temple, was the day when it was the offerings were brought by Nisanel, the son of Tsuar, and he was the head for the tribe of Yisachar. And it goes through a whole list of things. So what was the offerings that they brought? Let's run through the whole thing and then we'll go into the Sicha. Here are the following of what the offerings that they brought. First of all, they brought an offering with one silver bowl. Now, how, by the way, whoever has a pen or pencil paper next to you, it's worthwhile to write down all this information as best as you can because it will help to the entire flow of the Sicha. If you're doing it out of memory, great. So the, he brought, they, they would bring, he brought one offering of a silver bowl, a karas kesef, and it weighed 130 shekels. He brought also a one silver sprinkling basin, which is basically kind of a little bit different shape and size for a bowl. It's kind of like a bowl, but it's called basin. And that weighed 70 shekels, according to the holy shekels of the time that people currency used. 
Now, both of these, the bowl and the basin, was filled with flour mixed with olive oil for a meal offering. Now, it's important, we're not finished a long list, a long list, but I want to share with you the Rashi's insight at each one of these things. Why in the world did they bring these kind of funny gifts? So one is the silver bowl. So Rashi points out that the words karas kesef in Hebrew of a silver bowl has the same numerical value that equals up to 930. What's the significance of 930? Because Adam, the first human being, he lived for 930 years. Why the relevance that they, that the silver bowl had a weight of 130 shekels to it? What was the thinking behind that? So for this, he says, because Adam was 130 years old when he started to bring children into the world. He was on birth control for 130 years, and then he started to have children. Now, why did they bring one basin of silver? What's the significance of that? And Rashi brings down that, and all this Rashi is going to bring down from a, a teacher that he once heard called Ramosha. Hadarshan. He lived about a hundred years or so, I believe, before Rashi, and he was had fascinating insights, and he had a lot of darshan. He had a lot of homiletical insights on things, and Rashi adopts a number of his insights. So, why did they bring um, a silver a, a silver uh, sprinkling basin? Because the words Mizrak Echad Kasef has a numerical value of five hundred. 520. What's the significance of 520? 500 is the years that that Noah, that Noah, by Noah and the flood, so Noah was 500 years old when he started to have children. And 20 is because the decree that Hashem made that the, that the flood will happen, that decree was set right before his first child turned 20 years old. Because at 20 years old, you're liable for punishment. So the decree came in before he was 20 to show that the flood had nothing to do with him. Okay, why did this silver basin have a weight of 70 shekels? Also, every detail in the offering has reasons. Is because 70 is the correspondent to the 70 nations of the world that came out of Noah and his family. The next offering that was brought was a spoon. A kaf achas, there was a like a spoon or a ladle, a spoon basically, that had a weight of 10 golden shekels. Ten, or 10 shekels of gold. And that's what they filled it with incense. Now, why did they bring one spoon? Because one rep- is correspondent to the Torah that Hashem gave with his hand. So like spoon is like something you're holding, like in your hands, like kind of like, a, like in your palm. So, so too Hashem gave the Torah with his hand, with his palm. Why specifically was this spoon, have, did it have a weight of 10 golden shekels? Because 10 represents another theme in the Torah, which is the Ten Commandments. Why did they fill it with incense? 
So this is interesting. Fill it with incense is a hint to the idea that the word kitaras, which means incense, has a numerical value of 613. So the spoon, the, the, the palm of Hashem, gives the Torah with the Ten Commandments and all the 613 mitzvahs. How does the word kitaras add to 613? So for this, there's a way how to do numerical numbers. It's called the Atbash, which you take the first and you switch it for the last letter of the Torah or the last to the first. So the first letter of Ketaris, which means incense, you take the Kuf, which is the fourth to the last letter. You flip it with the fourth to the front letters, a Dalit, which is four. And once you do that, you have four, nine, two hundred and four hundred, total 613. Okay, so that's regarding that gifts. Again, the spoon, a palm, ladle, was of 10 golden shekels, which is the Aseris uh, Dibros, the Torah with that Aseris Dibros, the Ten Commandments, and with the 613. Then they also gave three animals. One was a bull, one was a ram, and one was a a, 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 um, a, a lamb, a, a sheep. So you had a bull, ram, and a lamb. Rashi points out the significance of one of each of these is to correspond to Avraham. When he gave bull, he took a bull and he slaughtered, he gave the meat to his guests. So it uses the word that he had to do with this with this bull. When it says uh, one, one ram, that represents Yitzchak, Isaac, who it was transferred to slaughter a ram instead of him when it came to tie the story of the altar. Why one lamb? That has to do with Jacob because Jacob watched the lambs and he had the whole deal with his father-in-law had to do with lambs. So that's why they brought these three animals specifically because each correspond to either Avram, a verse with Avram or Yitzhak or Yaakov. Okay, then they brought more. They brought a he-goat. A male goat for a sin offering. Why a male goat, says Rashi, to, to, to rectify, atone for the sin of the sale of Joseph because they slaughtered a he-goat and they brought his coach dipped into blood to the father Jacob. So to atone for that story of the sale of Joseph, they, the tribes brought a he-goat. And then in the final verse of the offerings, it says that they brought a peace offering. Now the peace offering had a few components to it. First of all, it had two oxen. Why two oxen? Because that corresponds to Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron both were the ones that brought peace between people and Hashem. So when they brought a peace offering, it was made up of two Oxen to represent Moshe and Aaron in their bringing peace of people to Hashem, to our Father in Heaven. Then they would, then they brought five Elim, five goats, five lambs, and they brought, sorry, five rams, five goats, and five lambs. Why did they bring these, these items? So Rashi again points out that the three categories of rams, Goats and lambs, that's to teach you of the three categories that we have in the Jewish people. We have Kohanim, Levites, and Israelites. And it corresponds also to the three parts of the written Torah. The Tanakh, Torah, the prophets, Nevi'im, and Ksuvim, the writings. 
Why did each one of these three have five animals of each one of these three types? Because five represents something unique in the Torah. First of all, we have the five books of Moses. And second of all, you have the tablets which had two, two sides to it. One column of the tablet had five t- of the Ten Commandments. And the other side of the tablet had another five of the commandments. So five, one five is for the five books of Moses, one five for the first five of the tablet, the Ten Commandments, and the other five for the second five of the Ten Commandments. That has to do five, five, five of these three kinds of style animals. And this is all the offerings of the second day. And he says, I heard all this, and it's based on the ideas of Ramosha the preacher that did these homiletical insights. So that's basically the Rashi. Now, once you get this, and like I said, once you have it, if you write it down, it makes it much easier. And now we're going to see what the Rebbe has to say on this. And I just want to tell you that since in 1977, and towards the end on Shemina Tzeres, the Rebbe had the heart attack. So after the Rebbe recuperated from the heart attack for the first almost two years, Every time there was a Fabrengen, instead of making the Fabrengen on a Shabbos, where the Rebbe would have to use more, exert more energy to speak because there's no microphone, so you know you have to speak for the big crowd. So the Fabrengens were postponed to Saturday night. So Saturday night is when the Fabrengens out. What did we gain out of that? We gained that all those Fabrengens are also recorded. It's not just that the all out of memory. It's also recorded. So it's so nice when you could actually hear a bringing like this one. It was done on a Saturday night of this Parsha Nusso in the year of 1978. And over there, it's interesting because a couple times you could see how the Rebbe, you know, does different things to keep the crowd awake. You know, it's late at night and a Rashi in depth, you know, could put a person to sleep. So you could see after one point in the beginning of all his questions, he turns to the guy that used to, he says, where's the guy that always counts up how many questions we ask? He turns to the guy, it was a businessman, Zalman Jaffe from Manchester. He was there at the Fabringen. And he said, okay, that was question one. And then a little bit later on, he says again to him, he says, oh, where are we holding? And he says, three. Okay, that was three questions. And then a little bit later, he says, no, where are we holding now? And this Zalman Jaffe says, we're holding 11. <laughs> And the Rebbe says, okay, at least we're, ahead. we're more than a minion of questions. So just interesting, you know, a little interesting things keeps the crowd a little, you know, on, on their toes. So here's the actual insight on this magnificent Rashi that explains the details and the insights of why the tribes would bring this mix of different kinds of things for offerings. By learning this Sikha, we really get to appreciate the, the nuances and the amazing details and thinking through that goes through and you could realize how every single thing in Yiddishkeit has such beautiful depth, meaning and encouragement to our daily service. So here's what he says like this. On this week's Parsha of the offerings that the Nisim, the leaders of the tribes would bring by the second of the 12 tribes, Rashi brings down from this Reb Moshe, the preacher, the details of the offerings that they would bring and what it alludes to. When it said a silver bowl, he said that that has numerical value of 930, which corresponds to the amount of years that Adam lived. When it said about one basin of silver, it said that corresponds to 520 regarding the life of Noah when Noah started having kids. When it says one spoon 
full, it says that responds to the Torah. When it said one bull, one, one bull, one ram, and one sheep, it says those three different animals corresponds to the, our forefathers. When it said one he goat, that's to correspond to the atonement for the sale of Joseph. When it says the peace offering had two, uh, had two, two bucker shnaim, it had that corresponds to Moses and Aaron who brought peace. When it says the three different kinds of each five, the rams, the male goats, and the sheep, over there it says it corresponding to the Kohen Levites in Israel and the Tanakh Torah of Yemen Okay. Here, the Rebbe says, why did Rashi at all come to teach us the hints that are alluding to in these offerings, which is really allusion to stuff or homiletical insight, is not really Rashi's style. Rashi sticks to the literal interpretation of a verse. So why would he go and adopt, you know, these deeper kind of concepts here? And why does he bring it down by the second tribe? He should have brought it at the first tribe. Every tribe brought the same list. Why does he only go and explain it by the second tribe? So for this, the Rebbe says, we already once explained this. Now it's interesting. This Sikha, the Rebbe said in 1978. It was in 1966 that he explained it, <laughs> the answer to that. So it's kind of like, I expect you all to remember this, you know? It's not so long ago, <laughs> 12 years ago, you know? So he says, we once spoke about these two points, why Rashi brings this down and why only on the second day. So we explained it once before and it's printed already in, in volume 8 of the Kutusichos. And over there it says that Rashi was only bothered about the details of the whole list because only when it came to the second one. Because the first one, okay, he brought a whole list. So I don't have any problem with it. He brought his list of offerings. But the second tribe brought the same exact list. Whoa, I have to understand. Why, to say, don't, why do you have to tell me the whole list? And as a matter of fact, you're telling me the entire list, the same exact, you could have just said the second tribe brought the same things that the first tribe brought. Why, you don't have to repeat all the details. So therefore, Rashi goes into a lengthy discussion to say by the second one, it's where he had all of a sudden, okay, now we got to understand this telling us here something. So he tries to tell you that, that there was certain allusions to different ideas, which were hinted here. And these are general ideas that will help to understand that in each tribe had a different reason of corresponding to ideas, but the similar ideas, but each tribe had a different, you know, style in their relationship with Hashem. So in other words, Rashi takes out from this, that by bringing an offering for every tribe, they had different, each tribe had different intentions and hints that were more befitting for their tribe. Therefore, every tribe, we have to mention in detail all of them that they brought, even though in in a technical level, it was exactly the same. But since each tribe had different intentions and in why they brought it, therefore, it repeats it again and again. And this where Rashi only brings down the hintings only regarding one. He doesn't repeat it. He doesn't tell us each one of the 12 what the, all the nuances is like the Medrash does. The Medrash actually goes through in detail how each single one of the 12 tribes 
had different ideas in why they brought these, even though they were the same. But there was a different intention or hinting to that was more related to each tribe. So why doesn't Rashi bring down all of them? And that the reason for that is, is because Rashi chooses to pick the most generalized ideas. And from there, you could deduce all the more details that come out from it. But he only has to tell you the general ideas. Once you get the general idea, you could assume also more details out of it. If you want to go to the Medrash, okay, he's, he's not the Medrash. He's just summarizing things that will help us to understand. So on this approach, so that's what was explained 12 years earlier. But then at this Fabrengen in 78, there, the Rebbe asks a question. He says, it's understood that the hintings of the details of the offerings that each tribe brought were, are not just random details of all these different ideas that were brought, but they're all details that are connected to one theme, obviously. It has to be so. Like we find in the Medrash, actually, that the Medrash, before he starts to talk about each one of the tribes, he gives you the general idea where that tribe excelled in. For example... The first of the 12 tribes to bring offerings was Nachshon ben Aminadav from the tribe of Judah. So the Medrash tells us that Judah represented the idea of kingdom, of sovereignty. That, right? we, we know all kings came, the main kings came out of Yehuda. Mashiach is going to come out of him. King David came out of him. Solomon, they came from Yehuda. So the idea of kingdom comes from Yehuda, which is Nachshon coming from that root. The second day was Nasanel ben Suar. He came from the tribe of Yisachar. The Medrash points out that Yisachar's theme of life was studying Torah, and the great men of the Sanhedrin, many of them were descendants from the tribe of Yisachar. So you could see that everything in the tribe of Yehuda was somehow in theme related to the idea of kingdom. Everything in the tribe of the next one had to do with ideas of Torah, scholarly stuff. So that was, was themes. But now, however, what's the problem here? The, the question is that in all these alluding points that Rashi brings out, it doesn't seem to have one theme that goes through all the ideas. And we're going to go through some of the examples. And we just really said them. Because first he tells you things have to do with Adam's 930 years. Then he tells you things have to do with Noah's 520 years. Then it tells you that there was one spoon related to the Torah. And then this had to do with, with the Ten Commandments. Then it goes into three animals that had to correspond to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And then it goes back to the story with the goat for representing the sale of Yosef. Then it goes into the three different animals again, Rikon, Levi, Yisrael, and then the five, five, fives, right? What's the theme, thread of all these? In the Medrash actually brings down, in the Medrash there's an opinion that all the points that the, that the tribes brought are actually a theme has to do with a time of history. The Medrash has an idea that the, that all these animals, that all had to do with stages of the world from when Adam came around until the tabernacle commandments to build the temple. So that whole period, so it was, it, those, all those offerings corresponded to different ideas of the historical frame of that. But we could ask, that that's a general idea of a hintings of what Rashi 
brings down. And Rashi actually goes through the generations. He first he tells you about Adam, then he tells of his and the descendants when he has started having kids. Noah, when he started having kids, the seventy nations, our forefathers, Yosef, and then Moshe and Aaron. But in the middle, he sticks in all the stuff about the Torah and the Ten Commandments and the six hundred and thirteen mitzvahs. So, are you talking just about the historical part? How does the Torah stuff get mixed into the middle of all this? So. If it's like the Medrash that it's all about telling you the historical events to how it unfolded, then what does it got to do with, why did Rashi stick in the Torah stuff in the middle of the historical dates? And you could still ask a question. Even if you want to say that Rashi did that, that he stuck in about the Torah parts, you could ask two questions. Number one is a question that the Maharal, the Maharal of Prague, he asked a question. He said, what's the connection, for example, of the six hundred, uh, 930 years that Adam lived to the fact that they're dedicating the temple now that the tribes brought these offerings? Very nice. I'm bringing an offering that, that represents the number 930, which shows you how long he lived. But what's the connection of how long he lived to the actual tabernacle? And another question is, all the offerings has to be, with the hintings, has to be according to the, to the chronological generations. Well, why do we stop with the point about from between Noah and Avram, you, you mentioned there about the ladle, the spoon, which has to do with the Torah. What's the connection to that and Moshe and Aaron? So these are, this is basically really a summarize of one question. And the summarize of the summary of the one question is, is what is the flow of all the hintings that Rashi tells you that had to do with all these offerings? We can't figure this out so far. It seems like it would maybe be a chronological thing of eight of generations, but then if you look a little slower, it doesn't make sense because he sticks in to the age of the, Different stages of time frame, he sticks in there about the Torah stuff. So how do you what, how do you make sense about that? Then he asks now another three another two questions on the words when it said that there's one spoon that was made up of the ten golden uh, value of ten golden golden coins uh, shekels. Rashi said the one spoon has to do with the Torah that was given by God's hand. It's like like a spoon in your hand, you know? And the 10 golden coin value corresponds to to the 10 commandments. And then on the words of the three kinds of animals, the ram, the male goat, and the sheep, he said that those three kinds of animals represents the Tanakh, Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim. And then he says, why did each one have five corresponding to the five books of Moses and the five of the Ten Commandments on one side of the stone and the other five on the other side? So three ideas of five. Why do I need to have two hintings in relating to the Torah and two hintings related to the Ten Commandments? You said the one spoon of ten golden coins is Ten Commandments. Then you tell me again. When it said three times five, it's it's two of the fives is to respond to the two to the, to the ten commandments five and five. Why do you have to give me two? Just allude to one time about the ten commandments. And why do you have to have two times 
the Torah. You already told me one spoon is the whole Torah. Now you're telling me that the five is to the five books of Moses. One second. Why do you have to tell me twice about that? I already understand that. One time they're hinting to something is good enough. Number two, when Rashi says the words of these three kinds of animals, Elim, the rams, the he-goats, and the, and the sheep, he says that corresponds to the Kohen Levites and Israelites. And he doesn't say, some say, to the three parts of the Torah, Torah, Nevi'im, Ksuvim, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. He says it as one thing. That means it's almost like saying that these three things, these three different kinds of animals, correspond to six things. Kohen, Levites, and Israelites, and the three parts of the Torah. So is it to six things, or is it to three things? Usually Rashi would say, and some say, a different three. But he says it all like in one breath. The three different levels of Jews, and these, and the three parts of the Torah. I mean, that's all, it's all part. It's almost like six points. So how could you say three? It means six. Doesn't make sense. Now he says another, another idea, which is going to lead us to some more questions. After Rashi explains the hinting of the three different kinds of animals, he explains why did each one of those three kind of animals did they bring five of the rams, five of the he-goats, right? Why the five of, and five of the sheep? Why five of each? So again, let's just reiterate it because he's going to ask questions on this. So he said the five, five, five is because the Torah was given in fives. Five books of Moses, five on one side of the tablets and of the Ten Commandments, and the other last, the other five of the Ten Commandments, the other on the other side of the tablets. He says, "Let's understand this. What's going on over here? Number one, the hinting to the three different kinds, uh, the three different fives, has seemingly nothing to do with the three kinds of animals. It's just that one of those five corresponds to one part of the Torah." That means by bringing these offerings of three different kind of animals in a numbers of five, you're hinting to some uh, something else that has to do with the number five. You're saying three different kinds of animals, each one had five. It's not understood. Why did he have to tell you a separate hinting to the five books of Moses? Which, by the way, we already said before, again, the one spoon corresponded to the whole Torah. So what's this thing with the whole Torah and now he's going into the five? Why, why does three times five have to do with the five books of Moses, only one piece of the whole Torah? Number two, in the order, he says, of the three fives, first he says is the five books of Moses. And after that he says five of the Ten Commandments and then another five of the Ten Commandments. Now when you speak like that, what you're saying is that you're not talking about the Ten Commandments, the way they're engraved in stone. Because, what, let's go back in history a second. On Shavuos, we got the Ten Commandments. Right? Later, we got the tablets. Right? First set, he breaks, then he comes out with a second set of, of tablets on Yom Kippur. Later, much later, does the Torah get written. As a matter of fact, the Torah is not finished being written until the day when Moses dies. 
As a matter of fact, the fifth book, Deuteronomy, is all about the last 37 days of Moses' life talking. So the Torah does not get written until much later after the tablets were given with the Ten Commandments engraved. So when Rashi says the order, he says the five books of Moses, and then he says the Ten Commandments, the five and five, clearly he's not talking about the Ten Commandments the way they're written in stone, because the stones were given before the written of the five books. But Rashi says it the other order. First he says the five books, and then he speaks about the Ten Commandments. So clearly he's talking about the Ten Commandments, not about the way it's in stone. He's talking about the way they're mentioned in the Torah scroll. Right, that's the proof that he's talking about the way the ten commandments go, not the way it's in stone, because he says first the five books of Moses. Now, by the way, a fascinating point here. He says that the five, the five of the ten commandments on the one stone, and the other five commandments on the other side. So they're very interesting. It's very interesting the two categories of the two. That they, they're actually, it's not just that they're placed on two different columns. They're actually totally two different style commandments. The first five are mainly talking about positive commandments. You have to do this. Now, you have to believe in one God. Obviously, in order to believe in one God, you have to have the commandment, don't make another God. And don't make images and so on. But it's all about the positive commandment to believe in one God. And the fifth mitzvah. Sorry, and then the second of the five are all don'ts. Don't desecrate the Shabbos, don't steal, don't murder, don't be jealous. Those are the don'ts. So the first five are positive ones, and the second five are the negative commandments. But what's interesting, or you could say the difference between the first five of the ten and the second five. The first five are between man and God, and the second five are between man and and another human being. Right? Don't steal, don't murder. Don't be jealous. That all has to do with human to another human laws. The first five is between us and God. Even the fifth, number five, which is to honor your father and your mother. By the way, it's interesting. The sages point out that the reason why, the, one of the logics to why Hashem said you have to honor your father and your mother to a very high degree and why that's mentioned even in Ten Commandments is because there's a statement that says in the Talmud that it takes three to create a human being. You need the father, the mother, and God. Okay, you can't create, if you're missing any one of those three, you can't bring a human being into this world. So it's telling you that honoring your parents is equal to honor of God. That's why it's put into the first five. Honoring your parents because your parents and God are equal in you being here. So you ha- the mitzvah to honor your parents is equal with honoring God. So the point here is that you see that the first five is all about you and God, and those are positive commandments, and then the second five is about you between human beings. So we have to understand since we already had a hint to the general idea of the Torah. And for the five books of Moses, we just said now that the first five has to do with the five books of Moses. Why do I have to have another hint regarding the Ten Commandments, which are already written in the five books of Moses? And we're not talking about the the, the, ten, the ten Commandments, the way they're in stone, we just said. We're talking about the way they're written in the Torah. So really, it's all included in the five books of Moses. So what am I gaining here by this hint that the three times five had to do with the, has something to do with the Ten Commandments?
Now, in order to understand all of this, the Rebbe says we have one more general question. And once we get that question, we'll be able to understand the whole answer. And one theme answer is going to answer all these bunch of questions. And the theme question he asks is the following. Regarding the offerings that the tribes brought. Now, we're talking about that they brought them not just general offerings. They brought them specifically for the inauguration ceremony days of when the tab- when the temple was built. Right? That means it was the dedication for the temple. So they brought these offerings specifically for the onto the altar at the dedication. They brought this fine flour, oil as a gift offering. They brought the incense and the other animals that were totally burnt for sin offerings and peace offerings. That they brought all these all these different kinds of offerings were brought for the dedication of the temple. So it says it's not understood. The verse begins here. First of all, it tells you that they brought these offerings. What kind of offerings did they bring? We started off saying that they brought these bowls of silver, basins of silver. And then you're going through great details. You're telling me how much they weighed. You're telling me how much they were worth. And even by the spoon, you're also telling me with the spoon, it's exact weight, 70 golden coins. I mean, hello. You're talking here about the things that you use to bring the offerings. The main thing of the offerings was the flour, right? The oil, the incense. But yet, the verse goes through a whole lengthy discussion to tell me what they brought the offering in. Let's use our own analogy. If somebody brings a gift to your house, you're going to tell over somebody, you know what kind of gift they brought me? They brought a box that was made out of this and this. The wrapping paper was this and this. And then they, then you're going to tell them what was in there. Is that the way you talk? First you say they brought me this beautiful silver bowl. And by the way, it was also wrapped so specially. You don't start off in by talking about what held the offering in. The gift. Here in these verses here, they're starting off telling you, you should know about the gifts that were brought for the special dedication of the, we always brought gifts even before the, the, this uh, altar was built. But here was for the special dedication, you should know that we brought the bowls made out of this and the way this and, and, and the basin and the spoon. And then you start telling me what they put into there. The whole, why don't, why are we working backwards? What's the emphasis why is the Torah emphasizing so much on what they use to bring the offerings? That's the general question to the whole thing. It's not a specific detail in the Rashi. It's to the whole discussion here. Once we're going to understand this general idea, everything's going to flow. So let's just summarize our questions and then we'll go straight into the answer. So first was a general question, which was that... Rashi seems to bring down a bunch of different ideas 
that alluded to from all these different offering ideas that they brought, but we don't see a consistent theme through all of them. He starts off with Abraham, Noach, and then he goes into the segues into the Torah and the Ten Commandments, and then he goes back to Moshe and Aaron. So it seems like you're going through history, but at the same time, you're throwing in other things in the middle. So what's the consistent flow that generalizes the whole theme of choices of commentary that Rashi brings? Then he asked a question, why? Why did you? Why does it say that he used a spoon of the ten golden the value of the ten golden uh, uh, coins, and that goes to the Torah and the and the and the Ten Commandments? And then he said again that the three kinds of animals again is for the Torah and the, for the Tanakh. So you're telling me that twice, hinting to the Torah. Then he asked another question when it says that the Elim, that the three kinds of animals was corresponding to the Kohen, Levites, and Israelites, and Torah, Nevim, and Ksuvim, is that six, or is it three things that it alludes to? Then he asked a, so that was three questions. Then he asked a fourth question was, that what's the hinting idea that he said three times five? The three times five seemed like it has no connection to the actual subject itself of what they, of what they are. That it, that it alludes to the three times five of the Chumash and the two, to the two sides of the tablets. Then he asked another question. In the order that it said the three times five, he says first the Chumash, the five books. And then it says about the tablets, but the tablets is talking, not talking about the Ten Commandments in the tablet stones. He's talking about the Ten Commandments the way they were written in the Torah. And if that was the case, he said we have to understand that if the three... The, the, once you say the fi- five books of Moses already included the Ten Commandments, why do you have to say the five books plus the five and five? And then he had the general question is, why does the whole narrative of this, all the offerings that they brought, each one of the tribes starting off with the vessels that they brought the offerings in, why don't you focus on the actual offering itself? So to explain this, he says the following. All these hints of the offerings that were brought at the dedication of this new of, of the new temple it mentions what we accomplish what was accomplished in bringing these offerings that means that when the when the heads of the tribes brought certain offerings they brought it in a specific order of offerings and a specific number and that's the what the novelty here that something was accomplished here, something more than what used to get accomplished through them bringing offerings even before. What was the novelty that was accomplished through them bringing these offerings now in comparison to any offerings that were brought before we gave the Torah? Right? We have many stories in the Torah. Adam and Eve uh, brought offerings. Cain and Abel brought offerings. Right? We had many generations. Noah brought offerings. We had many offerings. What was the accomplishment of the bringing sacrifices and, and offerings as gifts to the tabernacle now. And so the, the answer is that Hashem says in the Torah, make for me a mikdash, v'asuli mikdash, make for me a sanctuary, v'shachanti v'seichem, and I will dwell in it. This idea of God coming down into the world is something that only got accomplished once we had a temple, a holy place. Every Jew had now the ability to take mundane 
substances like your animals, which are completely weekday kind of stuff. They're not holy things. And you could bring them as an offering to God. And you could see how holy they got. You know how you could see that these items became holy? Because when you slaughtered them and you brought it onto the altar, guess what happened? A fire descended descended from heaven and it consumed the offering. So you got to see that they were totally absorbed and they, they were elevated. Now, to illustrate this idea that you took the mundane and it now became holy because only now that we had the temple did the divine presence of God come down into some place into this world. So to understand this, the tribes, the leaders of the tribes brought two different style of offerings. Now he's going to help us to understand that from this whole list of offerings, you could categorize them into two different styles. The first category style is the kind of offerings that had to do with vessels, right? He said there was there was the vessel, there was the basin, the spoon, so that was the vessels that held the stuff. Then you had the mincha offering that was put into it, which was the flour, and the incense. The difference is that before the tabernacle stood, even if you brought these kind of offerings of vessels, flour, incense, a fire never came down at the end to consume it. The fire represents God's descending down. A fire came down from heaven to consume it. That shows on God's divine presence coming down into this world. Meaning, in, in the hinting part, what it allude to, the vessels alone and these offerings, the flour and, and the incense that were found there, in, in the fla- those were in the vessels, you, did, you never saw any change to the items. So the first category you, you didn't see any any miraculous change. You didn't see any godliness in these vessels, in the flower, or in the incense. The second category had to do with the animal offerings. The animals that were brought up as a olo, the whole thing was burnt to God. The other ones were the sin offerings and the peace offerings. Those either were burnt completely or the best parts of the animal were burnt, the fats and the blood. Those, you were able to see clearly how they changed and transformed and they were elevated. Sometimes you took the blood and you sprayed it on the, on the altar. A fire came down from heaven and took it. Meaning, in the two different kinds of offerings, you found one kind where you, you brought it, but you didn't really see with your own eyes that it changed or transformed to something. But in the other category, in the animal stuff, you actually saw a change. Now, the Rebbe says you could, you could even see an, a little bit deeper, not deeper, but he says you could see it better where it's hinted to in the two different categories. We have, let's just, let's just give a small introduction for ourselves to remind us of this. God created the world with four different things in this world. The lowest is the world, uh, the, the ideas in this world of domain, called inanimate stuff. Things that you don't see any life in it. Stone, earth, you don't see any life. One up from that is vegetation stuff. The world of vegetation where you could see the life, things grow. One up from that is the world of animal life, 
where you see living creatures. And one above that is the human people that could actually speak and use intellect and so on. So now, in the two categories that they brought the offerings, we see two categories. We see the vessels, the flower, and the incense. The flower is stationary. It's inanimate now. The vessels, of course. And the incense also. They're not from the category of living creatures. You don't see any life in it. It just stays put. Then you had the other category of offerings, which were the animals. That, that's the place where you see a lot of life. This idea was a novelty that happened only when we had the tabernacle. That was revealed when we had the tabernacle. All of a sudden, the animal, the life of the world was also able to be elevated to the point that a fire would descend from heaven to consume it. Meaning there was a revelation of godliness. Now this idea only happens after the giving of the Torah. Because that's the whole idea of the Torah. What happened when the Torah was given? When the Torah was given, Jews turned into become what's called Mamleches Kohanim Vigo Kadosh. We came into a people that were the, the priests to serve the king, and we came what's called a Goy Kaddish, a holy nation. Therefore, they had another category of mitzvahs that they were able to establish holiness in a mitzvah itself. That even a five-year-old kid could understand that something holy happens here. In other words, even though this happened mainly from the giving of the Torah, when the Jews became this holy nation, and we became the serv- the servers to the king, we're like the Kohanim, and we were also commanded to serve Hashem with the 613 mitzvahs, but and a little bit of it did start before the giving of the Torah. It started with Abraham, because Abraham already had one commandment. He had a commandment to circumcise himself. That was the idea where Hashem said, let me start a little bit of the idea where I could bring a, a holiness into something, substance in this world. But now, with this idea that we understand that there were two categories of offerings, the ones where you saw a change in it and the, st- and the other things that look inanimate, that you just brought it, and that's it, we can now understand the order of the way Rashi brought down all the hintings in the offerings of the tribes. Based on the idea of that teacher, Ramosha, the preacher, the darshan, the homiletical teacher, because those points that Rashi is going to bring down are the most closest to literal understanding of Chumash. Even though they're homiletical insights, so it feels a little bit mystical, but really it's the closest of the mystical interpretations that you could relate to simple text. And that is that Rashi brings it down in two categories. He says that first he says the things that are inanimate. And he shows you how they allude to Adam, to Noah, to the 70 nations. So which, which is a stage where you don't get to see the divine godliness in this world just yet fully. And then he talks about the things that where you do see. Where you see the Jewish people starting from Avram. Then going down to Moshe, mentioning about the two animals corresponding to Moshe and Aaron, and then to the Kohen Levites and the Israelites. Ah, you could say then, you could ask a question that's still not understood. According to this, there's no room to mention the idea of the one ladle, 
The one spoon had to do with the Torah and the ten golden values, the ten commandments. And Malayah Ketores was filled with Ketores, the incense. And Ketores had a numerical value of 613. How does that fit in here? So he says, for this, the explanation is that Rashi was being very precise. Rashi said that it was made with the spoon, one spoon, that because when he's talking about, he said the spoon is the hand of Hashem. Now, when Hashem gives the Torah from his hand, the Torah actually did not penetrate and affect this world yet. So to the Ten Commandments, or the 613 commandments, it's talking about the way it's coming from Hashem's perspective. But he doesn't mention yet the way it is from our perspective. In other words, from Hashem's perspective, it didn't actually penetrate through the world. He just, it came from Hashem's hand. But he didn't say yet that he put it into our hand. It just says that Hashem, it came from Hashem's hand. Since the one spoon hints to the Torah, it comes from Hashem's hands. So then it goes into the first category. It's talking about Hashem's hand, not our receiving it yet. So it goes into the category of the inanimate stuff, the stuff where you don't see a change in it. You don't see a change in the object in the, from the receiver's point of view. Torah mitzvahs on its own, it actually says, is like there's an expression in, I think it's Yeshaya. Uh, Rashi brings it down, but I think it's from Yeshaya somewhere. That He says that the Torah is like the toy, like a playful thing for Hashem. In other words, it's the way it is from Hashem's perspective. When it's only from Hashem's perspective, it doesn't carry a holiness in this world long term. For example, even a five-year-old kid knows that when the divine prophets came down on Mount Sinai, we all know that the Kedusha, the holiness in Mount Sinai, did not stay. didn't stay forever. As soon as we didn't hear the sound of the shofar anymore, the divine prophets left and everybody at that point onwards, you're allowed to walk onto the mountain. Before that, you weren't allowed to walk onto the mountain because the divine presence was there. But it just shows you that when it comes only from God's perspective, not an, not yet in our hand, the holiness doesn't stay forever. When Hashem, when Hashem came down, He said, whoever touches the mountain is going to die. Because And that's why it actually uses, by the way, regarding the spoon, it says it was Zav, it was golden. Why? Because he wants to show you that, that the Torah is such a precious thing. So it uses the word gold. The other stuff, it said silver, by the way. The bowl and the basin, that used the silver. But by the one spoon, which represents Hashem's Torah over there, used the word gold to show more precious stuff. In other words, the Torah on its own does not hint to anything of the world of living creatures. And that's why Rashi says in the second part of Rashi, where he brings down, there were three kinds of animals. There was the ram, the he-goat, and the sheep. Over there, he points out that that goes on the Kohen, Levites, and the Israelites, and the three parts of the Torah, Torah, Nevim, and Ketuvim. He doesn't mean to say six things. He means to say the Kohen, Levites, and Israelites, the way they're penetrated through the Torah, the way they're bonded with the Torah. Because now he's talking about the second category of the offerings that has to do with living creatures. So the point is that we see here that when Rosh, if you divide up all the points of the offerings in two categories, things that are inanimate, meaning I don't see the godliness in it, and then the things that are from the living creatures where I see the godliness in it, because you see in the offerings that fires came down to burn it, 
It all makes sense. It's talking about two different kind of categories of stuff. One, you're talking about the way Hashem gives the Torah, the way it's coming from Hashem's like, and one is the way we receive it. When we receive the Torah, we embrace it, and we are making holiness penetrate into this world. And since the three categories of these three kinds of animals, the the ram, the he-goats, and the sheep, are all peace offerings... From here we can understand why they correspond to the Kohen Levites and Israelites because they're uh, uh, the way because the way a Jew is penetrated with the three parts of the Torah, the Tanakh, that's when it's a peace offering. And that's what Moshe and Aaron did. They made peace between people and our Father in heaven. Only when your life is penetrated with Torah can you actually bridge a gap of and make things into peace, into a unison between the material substance of this world and holiness. And with this we can understand the last piece of Rashi when he said that it corresponds to the three fives, that the three fives that the three fives correspond to the five books of Moses and the two sides of the tablets, each five. Since it's talking about the way the way he said it's to the, it, it corresponds to the Torah. It's understood from the three fives that it's not just a hint on new ideas. It's a continuation that it's all about the Torah to emphasize that the Torah is received by Jews and becomes one with it. Not like a verse says, one spoon that's talking about the way the one spoon is given from Hashem. We're talking about we, the, 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 the tribes, they brought three different categories to show you on how the three different kinds of Jews are absorbed with the three parts of the Torah. How it's given from Hashem's hand is one angle, and that's when you say the Ten Commandments, because really, from Hashem's angle, all the Ten Commandments could have been done with one word. Actually, some say that He said it all in one utterance, just we heard it as ten. Now we understand also why Rashi said, by the way, he puts it in like, like in a brackets here, that He said one spoon, Rashi quotes one spoon. He could have, he only, he's only explaining the spoon that it's related to the Torah. Why does he emphasize the one? Because to emphasize that it's all talking about all the Ten Commandments as one, talking about Hashem's perspective. And specifically through this, that the Jews receive the Torah and the mitzvahs. We could feel the difference in the different parts of the Torah, that all five books of Moses, every single one of them, has the dividing up of all the mitzvahs, that the ten, in the Ten Commandments you have hinted to all 630 mitzvahs are hinted to in the Ten Commandments, like Rashi already brings down several places, a famous idea that all positive commandments come from the, are hinted from the positive ones in the Ten Commandments, all negative commandments are hinted from the negative commandments, and all this is written on one side, and then the, the, all the positive ones are on one side, the negative ones on the other side. Uh, however, the Ten Commandments, the way, the way they were given from Hashem, it's emphasized as one spoon of ten gold because it's not emphasizing the two kinds of five. So again, when things are by Hashem, it's like when you're sitting in an airplane and you see everything looks like one big ball. It's from the perspective of above. When you come down here, that's when you see the dividing thing. And that's why it's not Rashi per se, it's not the, the, the tribes bringing, uh, mentioning, alluding to First the Ten Commandments, then again the Ten Commandments on the five and five and two sides. It's a different thing. First he's talking about the Ten Commandments in the perspective of Hashem. And now he's talking about the end, he's talking about the perspective of the person. And with this, that's the explanation. The whole Rashi is very clear. So 
it's awesome when you'll get to learn a Rashi like this, where you get to see where it somehow it alludes to so many different things, or really there's this thread going through. One big thread, it's just talking about two different kinds of offerings, the ones that are inanimate and the ones that have life in it.